When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, we're coming to you on our quote unquote off Wednesday to talk about the crown season five. So there is no special guest this episode. It's just the two of us, Jessica and I dissecting season five of the crown, which premiered on Netflix on November 9th. We hope we've given all of you enough time to watch all 10 episodes with no spoilers, and we're excited to dig in. So we're just going to discuss standout moments to us. We're not going to go moment by moment through the entire series. If you want to listen to the show's companion podcast, I have been listening to this and I highly recommend it. It's called literally the crown, the official podcast, and they have great interviews with the cast and the crew and insight behind the scenes of the episode. So it goes without saying that if you don't want spoilers, maybe save this episode for later, but we've given you almost a full month. So I, I'm pretty sure that anybody listening to the show will have caught up on season five of the crown. So let's dig into it. Shall we? Let's go. All right. So we know that this season, season five, covers the years 1991 to 1997. So you know what? Right off the top, I'd love to know first your overall thoughts on the season. What did you think? Well, I know we were all curious to see how this season would portray some of the notable modern day royals, myself included. Um, I was, you know, really just interested to see what it would be like to watch um, characters that, you know, many of are, are still alive today and that, you know, all of them we've seen um, in in real life on, you know, on TV, at least. Um, we, we've seen them speak. We've seen their mannerisms. So I was really curious about that. Um, and I think a lot of people expected this season to be the most controversial so far, or perhaps even the most damaging. Mm-hmm. Overall, I thought it was okay. Um, I will say it didn't have me glued to the TV uh, where I couldn't miss the next episode, but I wasn't falling asleep during it either. So I, um, you know, I found myself analyzing the characters and just trying to determine how accurate I thought they were and how they portrayed the royals in specific scenarios. You know, we see scenes where there's just Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip behind closed doors talking. And I wonder, is that how they really were, you know? Um, so that was kind of the journey I was going on as I watched the, the season in full was, you know, just really thinking about these, you know, when we saw some of the earlier seasons of the crown, some of those people we didn't really see it. Well, we didn't see in real time, you know, speaking and or interacting with, with people. So the only thing we really knew of them was how they were portrayed by the crown. Um, you know, these historical figures that go back before our time, a lot of times we only just see photos of them. Um, so I think it's a little bit 
maybe harder to um, to watch a character play someone who has been alive in modern times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was kind of my initial takeaway. That was kind of the journey I was on as I was watching it. Um, and you know, like I said. I wasn't, you know, can't go to sleep, have to click to the next episode. Um, but I wasn't bored through it either. Uh, you know, overall, I thought it was, I thought it was good. What about you? Well, I was, can't stop watching this click through <laughs> the next episode. So I, um, I think I watched, I think I made it and not that it's like some kind of a race, but I think I made it to episode eight in one day and it was, wow. yeah, I couldn't stop. And I was like, no, you know, you need to break this up into five and five. But, you know, the thing about The Crown is obviously I love the British royal family, but I think I would love this show, The Crown, even if I was not a fan of the royal family. It is a beautifully written show. It is a beautifully acted show. It is a beautifully shot show. And I just like the show. And so, the and, you know, the 90s were when, like, kind of my entree point into the royal family. I remember all of these things when they happened the first time. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about this later. But there were even some things that season five, there was so much drama in the 90s that there were, were things that were left on the cutting room floor that didn't even make the show. And so, I mean... I loved it. I, I don't know if I have a favorite season of the crown. It's all good to me, but it definitely lived up to the hype for me. And you mentioned this and I agree. I was expecting them to go really, really, really hard. And then it was going to be painful for Charles. And there were obviously points where it was, but honestly, I, I think that, um, I thought they went too soft on him, honestly. And (laughs) I don't think that, that it was tough enough. And we'll get into that later too, but I enjoyed it. I always enjoyed the crown though. Well, going back to, you know, the individual characters, there's been a lot of talk following the season coming out, you know, was Philip convincing, was Charles convincing, was Diana convincing, you know, all of these different characters. Um, And I think when it comes down to it, um, like I said, you know, once you're portraying modern day Royals, um, it's really difficult to play them in a movie or a, a show. And I think we expect the actors to practically be the real person. And of course, it's never going to happen, but we're often disappointed when they don't feel like the person that we've observed in real life. So I think we have to have realistic expectations when it comes to portraying these people. But I did think Diana was very convincing. Oh, um, yeah. Charles less so. And and Philip, for me, there were times when I thought the actor worked for him. And then there were like certain scenes or certain camera angles that I thought it really didn't convince me. Um, and, and I didn't think it was a great Philip. Um, but, you know, I, I think Charles and Philip were both um, maybe better cast in previous seasons. But Diana, hands down... She did a great job. It was was very convincing. Nailed it. Well, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but um, I mean, just the voice, Elizabeth Debicki as Diana, the voice, the carriage, everything. You know, it's interesting. Um, I actually was looking up um, Elizabeth Debicki. Do you know she's 6'3 in real life? She's 6'3? Yeah. So Diana um, was 5'10". Um, so, you know, she was tall um, and I think wow. Kate's actually five, nine, but Elizabeth Tabicki is six, three. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. That, like six, three flat footed. I, I, I mean, according to Wikipedia, she's wow. six, three. That's amazing. So. No, she was, she was absolutely phenomenal. So it seemed to me also, this was something that stuck out to me, like 
the crown went out and hired a team to really go track down all of these big news headlines, gossip articles, standout moments related to the family from this period and task them with incorporating them into this season. So, you know, for me, it's like they use those reports and built them into their storyline, whether they worked or they didn't. Um, and, and some of them kind of left me wondering, was it necessary to include that or, or could we have changed it a little bit? Did we need to cover that? You know, the backstory on Dodie felt a little irrelevant to me. Um, the parts with Penny Natchbull, which, you know, I, you know, I don't know what your thoughts were with that. They kind of seemed a little unnecessary. Um, and ultimately, I think this season really left me understanding why the palace may have wanted a disclaimer on these episodes, because I think, you know, there were a few scenes that even I felt like I needed to research to see how close to reality the events actually were and, and how much of it was fiction. So I think if you're someone who follows the royal family as close as you and I, you know, if I have to go out and do that, surely the average American viewer um, may not know which scenes are, you know, fact and, and fiction. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it it To me, it felt like they wanted to go out there and pick all of these big headlines that happened during the 90s and make sure they somehow built that into their storyline. And, and that's kind of where we went off a of fact a little bit um, in, in some yeah. of those situations. Well, I think that we are keying up Dodie to be the Dodie Diana love story to be the made like one of the major storylines of season six. And so I think season five kind of lays the groundwork for Dodie. And we're going to go through kind of briefly, but each of the episodes in a second, um, the Penny Natchable thing, I think that felt um, to me like they were exacerbating that for Hollywood drama. I don't think that there was any there, there, um, that, so we'll talk about this in a second with, with something out of episode one, but the crown research team is phenomenal. Like they, they, I mean, Andrew Morton, is is a character in in episode two and he said he was also a consultant on the crown so he's probably like you know he he was involved in this but he said that the research was so good they got it down to the exact type of paper that he used in his typewriter to write diana her true story however while i do believe that it is based in fact it's still Hollywood right and so it's still got to be dramatized I mean we don't like at, to your point earlier we don't know what the queen and Philip said to one another in that room on that day I mean no one would have been there to know that so you know it's it's creative licensing but I truly do I mean we've had Robert Lacey on the show who is the historical consultant for the for the crown and I truly do believe that it is mostly based in fact with with slight tweaks to make the story flow and to make it more interesting and dramatic and and but I but the Dodie part so um we'll we'll get there but um but the yeah the penny natural part I think I I think that they were really trying to hint at you know a flirtation at minimum at maximum maybe something more inappropriate but that's that that was not the case and so that and then I actually so this is about season I think it was season two of the crown but I actually wrote an article that Prince Philip when he was still alive considered suing the crown 
for one of the storylines, the storyline that said that his sister, um, Cecile got on the plane, which ultimately crashed and she, and she died to come see him to, cause he had gotten in trouble at school or something. And that mm-hmm. bothered him so much. Of course it would like the, the show again, to your point, if you don't know the backstory and I don't even know that backstory and I report on the Royals for a living. And if you don't know that, then you're going to think that Philip, that Cecile's death was, uh, was Philip's fault. And, mm-hmm. and that's not true. And so, so yeah, there, I mean, it, we have to take it with a grain of salt that it is still Hollywood. So overall, what were your takeaways, Rachel? Okay. So I have a few, so let's, I'm going to start with episode one. So the Britannia, which is the Royal yacht. I think that that was really used as of course, a very obvious metaphor. They're thinking of decommissioning Britannia. Um, Britannia means so much to her majesty because she wasn't around for the start of Windsor Castle or Buckingham Palace, but she was there to commission Britannia. That is hers and hers alone. And of course, the metaphor is that the yacht is um, old and it's, it's, getting it's past its prime it's time to retire it and of course the metaphor here is that the queen may be as well I mean in this she's only I think in her in her 60s in the 90s and so you know she's she's certainly not that old but um we also I I have to ask you this question so it's in episode one still we see Charles and Diana go on an Italian cruise with William and Harry did you notice in season five, that William actually gets ample airtime. And fun fact, so Dominic West, who plays Charles, um, the the boy who pra- plays Prince William is his actual son, like his biological son. I thought that was interesting. Um, but William gets ample airtime in season five. Harry, he has like one line in episode one. And then there's a picture of him later. And that's it. And I found that interesting considering the Sussex's involvement with Netflix. And I wondered if, if you caught that as well. Yeah, well, I did hear that that was Dominic West's son. Um, and I thought that was interesting, but I also noticed that the Harry character only had um, the one line and I found it interesting as well. And I thought about, you know, the Sussex involvement with Netflix as I was watching this whole season, honestly, Um And it does feel weird that they're doing this Netflix series themselves almost alongside this one. So I don't know, you know, if that was a coincidence or um, if there was an effort there to to cut back the airtime for Harry. Did you have thoughts on that? Well, I just wonder if like there was like a part of the deal, like the part of the, a part of the clause for when the Sussex is signed on with Netflix. That's, I mean, of course I have no knowledge of this, but, um, there was like, you know, we, I will not feature it as a main character in the crown. I don't know. I just, I noticed that I found that very striking because William, you know, he gets a lot of airtime. Um, Mm -hmm. Harry literally has one line. And so staying with episode one for a minute, I wrote an article about that headline in episode one from the Sunday times, which bothered me because I can't imagine this being true, that the queen should abdicate in favor of the Prince of Wales. So when you saw that headline, what did you think? Did you think that's impossible that that's true? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would not think that that would be, uh, be truth at all. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Did you have, what was your initial reaction 
Well, I was like, no way. I mean, in 1991 and, and so, yeah. so here's what I found. So in the episode, the Queens, if, if listeners, if you don't remember the Queens household staff desperately attempts to hide a copy of the Sunday times from her, it contains a poll that says Charles was more popular among the British public than she was. So on the show, the front page of the newspaper, which is dated August 11th, 1991 reads queen should abdicate in favor of Prince of Wales. And it's followed by the subheading half of British public agree. So when I saw that, I was like, yeah, right. No way. Mm-hmm. And so the queen who turned 65 in 1991 was described as irrelevant, old, expensive, kind of like Britannia and out of touch. And in contrast, Charles was 43. Most of 1991, his birthday is in mid November. He was called young and energetic and modern and empathetic. So here's the reality check. And I wrote an article about this for Marie Claire. So I did my research here. The poll was first of all, not conducted by the Sunday times at all. It was actually from Mori or M O R I. I'm not really sure which stands for market and opinion research international. And it showed that the public was largely pro monarchy. So the poll said, despite assaults by the tabloid press and a decade of intimate scrutiny, the royal family enters the 1990s as a remarkably popular part of British life, it reads. So the Queen Mother was Britain's favorite royal at the time. We had an episode on her a couple of episodes ago that you all loved and love Gareth Russell. Um, Then after the Queen Mother followed by the queen, then the Prince of Wales. So the queen was actually more popular than her son. The article does include the statistic mentioned in the crown, 47%. So nearly half of the British population supported the queen stepping aside for Charles, but it was followed by the three critical words at some stage not the urgent call for change that it was made out to be on the show. So the poll was also published on January 21st, 1990, a full year and a half prior when Margaret Thatcher and not John Major, which was portrayed in the show as the one Charles lobbies for his his mother's early abdication was prime minister. So just interesting side note, the only mention of the queen in the actual August 11th, 1991 edition of the Sunday Times was to the undisputed queen in an advertisement for a royal cruise liner. So this again is proof that while the crown does have roots, in fact, it takes fictional dramatic license as well. Like it really took major fictional dramatic license there. And the queen, the the episode one title is actually called Queen Victoria Syndrome. There is no such thing. It was actually, that is a term that was created by the crown. So there is no such thing as Queen Victoria Syndrome. So Stuff like that. Like, that's why people, that's why people want the disclaimer. And I understand that. So um, we mentioned this a minute ago, but I want to take a minute before we go into episode two and beyond to talk about, we'll just start with Elizabeth Debicki as Diana. So I thought she was phenomenal. I think she should win every Emmy there is. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, you know, down to the mannerisms, uh, just, I mean, her look, I, you know, I mean, it was very, very, very convincing. I thought that was the most well cast person of this. Agree. So Dominic West as Charles. Now, I do not think he was as convincing. I mean, I think it could have been worse. There were some times where I was kind of okay with it, but, um, but in most of the the shots of him. I felt like Charles from the last season was much more convincing. What about you? 
there's a headline in Vogue. I think Michelle Ruiz wrote this article. Dominic West is too freaking handsome to be Charles, to play <laughs> Charles. He's too, he's too sexy. I'm sorry. It's not convincing to me from the back, like the way he carries himself, maybe, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't get into, it. I, um, now I'm blinking. It's, it's, it's Josh Charles who played Charles last season. He nailed it. Just, oh yeah. That was, that was my favorite Charles. Okay. What about Imelda Staunton as the queen? So this goes back to like expecting the real person, you know, like, I mean, was it really, did it really feel like the real person? Not really, but I was okay with the cast. I thought it was probably as good as they could have gotten um, without it actually being Queen Elizabeth playing herself, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I was okay with it. Um, what about you? You know, it was okay. I mean, she's a very talented actress, obviously. And now this is bothering me because his name is not Josh Charles from season four. I'm gonna, <laughs> and, and somebody is, somebody's like, because Josh Charles is an actor, but that's not who it was. Hold on. I've got to figure this out. Um, oh my gosh. Hold on. Josh O'Connor. There you go. Josh Charles is an actor, but not this actor. Josh O'Connor is who I meant from season four. Okay, Imelda Staunton is, a, is an incredibly talented actress. This was not my favorite role for her. Um, I will never, there, there just won't be a better queen for me in The Crown than Claire Foy. That's just it. I mean, she just, yeah. Claire Foy was just so brilliant. But I mean, Imelda Staunton, of course, did a great job. But um, there was just, I don't know. There was just something missing for me there. Um, Another, and the character of Prince Philip has had many great actors play him. Um, I loved Jonathan Price as Philip, and I was wondering what you thought. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I thought he did. I thought it was an okay casting. Um, there were certain, I don't know, there were certain times where I would maybe it was a camera angle or something. And I was like, that looks nothing like Prince Philip. Like I'm just like mm-hmm. in, in just kind of the way he would talk. I, it wasn't convincing in every scene, mm-hmm. but again, like, I mean, I guess they could have done, they could have done worse. I thought, you know, as a whole, I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but gosh, I mean, nobody was cast as well as Diana. So yeah, it's just, it's not, <laughs> even, it's not even if that's what we're comparing it to. Yeah. 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 It's she was, <laughs> She was perfect. So episode two dives into the Penny Natural situation. Andrew Morton, we've actually had Andrew Morton as a guest on the show. Um, he remains, I, I will say this every time I talk about Andrew Morton and I'm embarrassing myself when I do this, but his voice is just like butter to me. Oh my gosh. I'm just like, <laughs> I have, I kind of have a crush on him, but um, Andrew Morton is a character in episode two, of course, the, um, the writing of Diana, her true story. And you can see, the involvement that she had in that book. Andrew Morton, as I said, was a consultant on the show. So you can expect that episode to be pretty accurate. And episode three might actually, this this is surprising to me because I didn't understand its placement so soon in the season, episode three. I Because obviously Muhammad Al-Fayed is going to play in, in season six a lot, the summer of 1987. But Episode three actually might be my favorite episode of the season. So we learn all about Muhammad Al-Fayed, his obsession with the British, 
about an outsider becoming the insider. And then here comes, as you mentioned earlier, his son, Dodi. Of course, he's going to play a major role later in the series and in the forthcoming season six. Um, I actually loved learning about Sidney Johnson, who was the valet to the Duke of Windsor and later Muhammad Al-Fayed. And I really like how the crown and, you know, as a writer, I can I mean, there's just no better writing, I think, than on the show. And it takes us in directions we never thought we could love so much. And I, I, I again, do wonder why this was the focus of episode three and not later, but I, I, I loved it. So I didn't know what you thought of episode three. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying there. And I think maybe there were some elements of this episode that were um, important maybe to, to somehow weave into this season, but I don't know. Like, I don't know. It it felt a little bit like it went into a lot more detail than I think I was really wanting. Um, and I think it was just not what I was expecting. I don't know. It's not what I was expecting to see in this season and felt like maybe, I don't, I don't want to say like totally irrelevant, but, um, I felt like they went into a lot of detail that they did. They did as, <laughs> we as, <don't> need. <laughs> as the crown is prone to do. So episode four has a ton packed into it. All three marriages. So the queen and Prince Philip had four children. Three of them were married in the early nineties. All of the queen's children who were married at the time. So Charles and Diana, Andrew and Fergie, Anne and Mark Phillips, all of those marriages end. It's also the Queen's Annus Terribilis, 1992, with the marriages ending, plus the fire at Windsor Castle. And I want to point out, maybe the most striking thing for me from episode four was the juxtaposition of Margaret and Peter Townsend, and their relationship was covered in detail in earlier seasons of the show, and how their situation was handled. Of course, Peter Townsend being a divorcee. Um, compared with Princess Anne and Timothy Lawrence, who would become Anne's second husband, who she is still married to today. And then, of course, that through line with royals um, marrying divorcees or divorce royals remarrying um, carries through with Harry and Meghan. But that will never be covered because I think the crown season six cuts off around 2002. So I just thought that was really interesting. And Episode five sees that infamous, I hate talking about this so much, tampon gate, Camilla gate, whatever you want to call it, intercepted call between Charles and Camilla. Finally, Charles and Diana separate. Charles goes on Jonathan Dimbleby's program. We're just breezing through this. But, um, and then of course, Diana's revenge dress makes an appearance. So I think episode five is probably the most damaging to Charles if there was one. I still think they went too soft, but do you think that this episode will impact his reign now? You know, honestly, I don't really think so. I think if there was going to be damage, uh, we would have already be hearing of it. And I, I don't feel like I've been hearing a lot of backlash towards Charles and Camilla. Um, I think if, you know, if honestly people had made such a big deal of it before the show aired, I don't even know if it would have gotten this much attention. Um, but, you know, until it's like one of those things, this too shall pass. Um, I don't think there will be a long-term impact. Um, but, you know, this was an episode that I was interested in tuning into for sure. Yeah. I mean, see, that's the thing. And we're going to talk about this in a second. The crown 
has such a mixture of really juicy, like ripped straight from the headline stuff like Camilla Gate. I, I hate calling it tampon gate. I won't do it. So Camilla Gate. And then also in episode six, we go into like the execution of the Romanov family. We, like mm. It's like totally like a 180. But um, I wanted to say this last point about episode five. The postscript of the episode, I seriously, I swear to you, I have no factual evidence of this, but I swear to you that hair, like after that episode, which again is probably the most damaging one about Charles, I swear to you that Harry was like, you got to add in this postscript though, about what he's done with the Prince's foundation. And, um, <laughs> I, I found that to be very pro Charles. And I seriously feel like Harry made them add, add it also. Okay. Now you guys are going to see this and you're never going to be able to unsee it, but in the postscript of episode five, you can go back and look at it. Maybe they fixed it by now. Cause I watched it. Um, you know, when, the, when the, when the season first dropped, but the word fulfill, F-U-L-F-I-L-L is misspelled. I'm like, really? Oh, yes. And I, I could not unsee it. And it bothered me because I'm like, the, it's the crown. Like it's the one of the best shows on TV. And you guys spelled the word, misspelled the word fulfill. So anyway, go back and check it out. Maybe they've changed it by now. I don't know. But um, episode six is really what I love about the crown. It's, it's more than just gossipy headlines. It's hard hitting. It's great writing. Um, I found episode six to be a very cerebral episode. So of course we've got the execution of the Romanov family and that storyline, which is incredibly interesting to dig into for our history lovers. Penny Natchbull plays a big role in this episode. The queen and Philip's marriage feels distant. Philip admits he's lonely. He admits to a close friendship with Penny. The queen meets Penny worries about her marriage. Again, I think like I've heard a lot of headlines about how the this season in particular would devast would have devastated the queen. And I think when I hear her friends say that, I think they're talking about this kind of stuff with Philip mm -hmm. and just really alluding to the fact that, you know, at minimum, he was having a flirtation with a young, beautiful woman. And at maximum it was more than that. And, um, and hop in here if you have any thoughts. I'm just rolling on. But in well, when we talk about when we talk about, you know, the dramatization and, and the Hollywood of it all, um, do you feel like so, you know, I think we both agree that they took the Penny Nashville thing too far. Yeah, I do. Hollywood. But do you feel like there was a point in, in their relationship where he did feel like sort of lonely or maybe they did feel distant? Oh, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. I feel like every marriage has those years, you know? I mean, I, I feel like who was that? Who is it? This, I think it was Michelle Obama in her memoir. She was like, you know, and I'm going to misquote this. So this is me paraphrasing, but it's like, you know, if you have a, they had a Philip and the queen had a 73 year marriage, you know, there's going to be bad years there. There's going to maybe even be like bad decades there with a marriage yeah. that long. Like that, that's marriage. Well, every marriage feels that way, let alone to the queen of England. You know, I go back to that. There's that quote and I don't know who, who it's from, but it's sort of a famous quote where it's like, you know, throughout your life, you have three or four really amazing relationships. And if you're lucky, they're all with the same person. Oh, um, yeah. And I sort of think about that in relation to this extremely long marriage, you know, and, and I say that, in the best way, right? That's a blessing to have a marriage that long with another person. Um, and, you know, 
look, she, she put the crown first in a lot or, you know, the monarchy, whatever we want to call it first in um, a lot of different ways throughout her, her life. And I'm sure there were periods where Philip needed an outlet, you know, he needed, you know, a, a hobby or something to do. And I think with, with Penny, um, my, my feelings about this was um, the queen, you know, thought, thought warmly of her and and probably encouraged um, Prince Philip to spend some quality time with her. I don't think it was a romantic thing at all. I think that's mm-hmm. where the crown took it too far. And and I think uh, the queen was, you know, supportive of that, that friendship. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, I mean, marriages can be lonely, you know, even if you are madly in love with the person, you know, it's just relationships are never perfect. And well, and I, and I feel weird sort of putting my thought, like, I think this, or I think that, because I mean, who am I to say, you know, I wasn't there obviously, mm-hmm. but this is just coming from other things that I've read and other interviews that I've heard people give and, and the way that I've heard people talk about this. And, you know, I mean, you've kind of gathered your thoughts based on, on similar sort of research and, and I don't know, I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. what, um, what I've sort of pieced together from what I've heard. Yeah. Well, in episode seven, we see Diana post-separation. We see the emergence of William as a character and her love story with heart surgeon has not Khan, who many have said was the love of Diana's life. So this, this relationship really happened. He really was just a pretty nondescript heart surgeon and they fell in, they fell deeply in love. They dated, I believe from 1995 to 1997. And, uh, that, by the way, the Apollo 13 reference took me right back to 1995. I love that movie. That's a great movie, but I'm just wondering what you thought of their romance. You know, it's interesting. You talk about how they had this great love, but he, his name is actually one that I feel like I don't always hear a lot about or that, you know, doesn't really come to the forefront when we talk about people from Diana's life. Like, you know, we hear about Dodie and we hear about, oh, what is his name? James. um, Oh, James Hewitt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I hear all these other names. And so I don't, I don't know that it would have stood out to me that he was, and maybe this is just my I don't know, lack of, of knowledge on Diana's relationships prior to, you know, in recent years when, you know, we've started to have, I don't know, I've started to read more about it, but, um, I don't know. His name just doesn't always come to the forefront of my mind. So I think it's an interesting relationship too. Well, and it was super under the radar, right? And that's how she wanted it. And, you know, we, uh, we hear about Dodie and of course we always will because they died together. They had that last summer together. That was so paparazzi filled, but I don't think that, I mean, what do I know? Like I, I sit here armchair quarterbacking, but like, I don't think like, I think that that Honest, to be honest with you, and this is me kind of speaking out of turn, I think the Dodie relationship was to kind of get back at Hasnat Khan because they had just broken up. They had just broken up before Diana went off for the summer of 1997 and uh, the and, and what culminated in the end of her life. And so all of those press photos were for to make him jealous, Hasnat Khan jealous, honestly. And I, I, I truly think that... Um, 
and, and we'll touch on this in a minute, the crown obviously goes deep into Charles and Camilla's affair, but doesn't really touch on Diana's affair. And she had quite a few, she had a handful of her own. And, mm-hmm. um, but this was, this was not an affair. They were divorced by, or they're separated at least by then. And I truly think that this was the love of her life. So I thought the Hasnot Khan and the Martin Bashir Pakistan connection was interesting. And this episode was maybe one of the more controversial episodes of the season because it starts the storyline that continues into episode eight about Diana's infamous 1995 bombshell interview with Panorama interview with Martin Bashir. So that will, will continue that through in episode eight. But I also wanted to bring up, there was a scene in here that is probably based off of a letter that Diana wrote to someone about how she thought Charles was planning brake failure in her car. But there, there's a scene in, in episode seven where she has brake failure. And um, I was just wondering what you thought of that scene. It was, it was a very dramatic scene. Yeah, well, this is one of those scenes where people might not know what's fact and what's fiction, you know, because it is, like you said, a fact that Diana believed people had been tampering with her breaks, but this exact scene never happened in real life. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely written into the storyline for a dramatic effect. Um, I mean, overall, I thought, you know, watching it like it was, you know, acted well, I thought it was, I thought it was a good scene, um, but it it never that specific scenario never actually happened um i think she had believed you know i don't know i don't know if there was something that happened that prompted it i think she had believed that someone had tampered with her brakes and then she had gotten a new car or something in real life but um but yeah what did you think of that one yeah i mean it definitely did not happen in real life it was that's that's the example of where hollywood and the dramatization comes in like they like it's like the the show takes a nugget of truth like she really did write that in a letter but then it turns it into a drama and so you have to really watch this season and all seasons of the show with that kind of that kind of grain of salt you have to you have to realize that yes there's a basis in truth basis in fact but it still has creative license to it. And episode eight finds William not wanting to know about his mother's love life. I don't kind of blame him. He was only, you know, a young teenager or preteen at the time. Um, Episode eight really does take us into the panorama interview. So Diana calls Martin Bashir on his deception, but she goes ahead and goes through with it anyway. She, um, it's a meeting so secret and who knows if this is true that she did her own makeup. Um, It just kind of shows that me that nothing new is under the sun. I mean, Harry and Megan's Oprah sit down last year was controversial, but it's kind of all been done before in some form or fashion. And I just want to continually point out here that yes, the panorama interview was incredibly controversial. It ultimately kickstarted the process that led to Charles and Diana's divorce, but it was Charles that hit first. He went on Jonathan Dimbleby first. So it was him that struck first. So I just want to point that out, but, um, then the queen and Diana, and of course, who knows if this really happened, have a sit down. She tells her majesty about the panorama interview. And then in episode nine, finally, Charles and Diana finalize their divorce. The queen writes a letter, says it's time after the panorama interview. Um, I find this so interesting in episode nine about Camilla 
hiring a spin doctor to help her rehabilitate her image. This just takes me back to how incredulous the idea of Camilla one day being queen was in the 1990s. So Katie Nichol, we had her on the show a few episodes ago. She talked about something called Operation Parker Bowles, and that is what is outlined here in episode nine. Um, It's just unbelievable. Like for those that remember the 90s and how vilified, I mean, Camilla could not even go to the grocery store without having tomatoes hurled at her, bread hurled, like people throwing things at her. They hated her so much. And I found it really interesting in episode nine, how I just, I really love the writing in this show. Like I'm obsessed with the writing in this show and how, um, I can't remember what number it was, couple 33 or couple 31. And they, and this episode showed like vignettes of other couples that were divorcing. And then it just, you know, at the end of the day, Charles and Diana were perhaps the most famous couple in the world, but at the end of the day in divorce court, they were just couple number 31. And I thought that was so, so interesting. So, you know, in the nineties, it it was not uncommon for people to be getting a divorce. I mean, I feel like that was Mm -hmm. um, happening everywhere in the nineties. One thing I wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts on the Camilla character and how Camilla was portrayed? Oh, I thought I, I, gosh, her her first name is Olivia and I'll look this up in a minute. I don't want to do her any disservice or disrespect, but I cannot, I think it's Olivia Williams. Um, oh, I thought she nailed the character. I loved this character. What did you think? I agree. I thought she did a good job, but it made me really, you know, going back again to like thinking about these people in real life, it made me wonder, um, you know, how Camilla and Charles interacted behind closed doors because, you know, she gives off this, you know, I'm thinking back to like the tampon gate conversation and Camilla gate. We do not call it tampon gate. That grosses me out so much. (laughs) Gross. She sort of gives us this like cool as a cucumber attitude. Like she doesn't, mm. I don't get the feeling that she's, I mean, she's entertained by Charles, right? Like she enjoys talking to him, but I don't really feel like she's enamored with him like he is with her, you know? Mm. Um, and it just makes me wonder, like, um, is that is that the attitude she had with him in real life? And um, is and that that's why probably he, why he was, he was so poor? Yeah, well, that's probably why he was so in love with her is that she was a little bit aloof. The actress is Olivia Williams, by the way. I was actually right for once. So, yeah, I mean, I thought that, like, I don't know. It's so weird that that phone call, oh, that like if you've ever read the transcript of that phone call, it's just it's just real awkward, really weird. But it's like watching two awkward teenagers fall in love and be in love, except they're like in their 40s and their 50s and so it's and like then the whole like can you imagine Andrew like this I don't know this cannot be real but like Andrew Parker Bowles answering the phone handing like knowing it's the the future king of England his handing the phone to his wife and then her going off to the other room to have more or less mild phone sex with him (laughs) and like it's just so the whole thing is just so awkward and the most awkward part is that a lot of it's true I mean I I don't know about Andrew Parker Parker Bulls answering the phone and how it all went down but just wild absolutely Uh, yeah I was gonna say on that on that point I mean look Camilla might not have been a royal at that point in time but she was not like you know she was very well off either way you know she she came from a, you know, a, a wealthy family. 
I would imagine they had someone answering the phone at their house. Don't you I don't think? Know. Uh, who knows? But like, <laughs> I, I feel I, like I, Andrew Parker Bowles was not picking up the phone and chatting with Charles <laughs> and handing the talk phone. About, yeah, talk I about just, emasculating Andrew Parker Bowles. It's like, sure, sure, Prince of Wales, <laughs> let me let me hand the phone over to my wife, who's oh gosh, it's just I have a hard time believing that. But oh, yeah, you know. yeah, that's again dramatic license, but. Um, the show wraps up. We're just, again, hitting the high points here. Um, otherwise, like literally the Crown's official podcast has like 10 hours worth of content on this if you want to really deep dive. But um, episode 10 is, uh, so this is this is a real storyline. So um, Dodie Alfayette was engaged when he met Diana and went on this like summer of love with her 1997. And his fiance, her name was Kelly something, Kelly Price, I think. Um, actually sued Dodie over over this, and then, but of course, then Dodie passed away, and so the lawsuit was dropped. But um, Dodie, so now in in episode ten, we see Dodie and Diana's storylines intersect. Summer of 1997 as this season closes. So seasons, by the way, I want to say one thing about episode 10. I thought it was so funny in the beginning of this episode where she just keeps hitting like, do you support the monarchy? No, no, no. I thought that was hilarious. But um, season six is going to be the show's final season. It will obviously pick up in the tragic summer of 1997 and Diana's death. So honestly, throughout the entirety of season five, I was bracing myself for Diana's death the entire season because they never said it wasn't going to happen. They did say that they would not show the actual accident. So I was thinking that she was going to pass away this season. It never happened. Spoiler alert. But um, what do you think about where the show left off? Well, I was expecting that as well, but I think they left it at a very intentional place where viewers will feel like they need to see season six. I think if they had included that, um, you know, if they had included her death in season five, I think there would have been like, maybe like a sense of closure with this whole series. Um, and people may not have been compelled to, to tune into another season, but, um, I think they planned that. So people will want to, um, you know, see how they bring this story to, um, Yes, to completion up until 2002, if, if that's when they're going to end up mm-hmm. closing out the series as a whole. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think they they're trying to leave off every season sort of in the middle of, um, uh, you know, of, of a narrative or an era to flow into the next one. Um, I don't yeah. know. What did you think? Well, before I go any further, I want to correct. This is when, so we really tried to make this episode more off the cuff and less research, just more like our actual thoughts is just casual viewers rather than Royal commentators. It's Kelly Fisher, not Kelly Price. Um, Kelly, I believe Kelly Price is, an, is, a, is a singer, but um, Kelly Fisher was the fiance's name. And um, yeah, I, I mean, again, I was, I was like bracing myself every episode. Like, is this the episode? Is this the episode? But yeah, I think that if I was a betting woman, season six will obviously spend ample time in the summer of 1997, the accident, the funeral. Um, then, you know, it, it, we know for sure, cause they've cast a Kate Middleton that they are going to go into at least 2001, which is where Kate and William met. Now they did not start dating, I think until 2002 or 2003. So um, we will see that. And I um, obviously will see Princess Margaret die right after that. The Queen Mother die. Um, the 
uh, oh my gosh, what is it? The, not the, I'm thinking the platinum Jubilee, but the, um, golden Jubilee, I think in 2002. And, um, then who knows how far they'll take it. Like maybe they'll take it to Charles and Camilla's wedding in 2005. I don't know, but, um, I, yeah, I'm definitely, I mean, I'm definitely ready for season six already, and we're going to have to wait at least a year for that. So at minimum, so I know they're filming season six, so that's a good sign. So, um, I can't, I cannot wait to the, the actor, by the way, who's pr playing Prince William in season six is his twin. So it's a new, it's a new actor. So, um, just a lot, a lot to look forward to, and it will be the last season of the show. So, I want to close with a side note that there was actually drama from the nineties. That was such a dramatic decade for the family that there was some drama that this season left out. So, as I said, we have a lot of airtime of Charles and Camilla's affair, but Diana had her own affairs. We mentioned a couple of them, James Hewitt, Barry Manneke, um, James Gilby, who, what she, so just as Charles and Diana each had their own television bombshell interview, Charles with Jonathan Dimbleby, Diana with Martin Bashir. Charles had his phone call, Camilla Gate. Diana actually had her own um, inappropriate phone call, if you will call it that. And that is called the Squidgy Gate phone call. And it's called that because James Gilby, who she's talking to, called her Squidgy, which mm -hmm. is an interesting pet name. Um, Another story from the 90s that didn't make it into season five, William got, I think it was in 1991, got hit in the head while he was at boarding school with a golf club. It caused him a severe head injury. Now he has a lightning bolt, Harry Potter-esque scar on his forehead from this um, that required him to have a two-day hospital stay, actually. Diane, this was a big controversy at the time because Diana stayed at a private room in the hospital, she never left William's side. And meanwhile, Charles drew negative press, including the headline, what kind of dad are you after he, after he only stayed at the hospital for 42 minutes? Yikes. Um, also, season five did not talk about the Taj Mahal moment that Diana had, that famous Taj Mahal photo of her sitting in front of a monument to love and her being at the end of her marriage, um, the, the infamous last tour that Charles and Diana went on to South Korea, where there, it was so bad that within weeks, their marriage officially was over, um, didn't go over the early 1997 photo of Diana, that iconic photo of her walking through the minefield in Angola. So, I mean, there was just so much going on in the nineties that, 1991 to 1997 so just those six years covered 10 full episodes and we couldn't even fit it all in so overall love this show so much and I hope listeners you enjoyed our little kind of breeze through of of season five so any final thoughts before we wrap yeah. Um, listeners, if you have any takeaways from the show, if there's anything that we missed here, or if you want to go into a little bit more detail than what we talked about, send us an email, um, or you can DM us on Instagram and let us know, um, your thoughts and, um, maybe we'll share some in a future episode. Absolutely. Well, thank you listeners for joining us for our special episode on season five of the crown. And we eagerly anticipate season six. Bye. Bye.